Revelation chapter 17 is where we are. We've talked a lot about um, these things. And of course, Revelation 17 and 18 are parenthetical. If you're just coming in and this is your first time hearing uh, about the book of Revelation, fear not. Uh, If you feel overwhelmed, it's okay. You have to be overwhelmed in Revelation so that you can think about it and then be overwhelmed more. Think about it. And after a while, things will start to little by little come into focus. And so don't feel badly if you feel like I have no idea what you're talking about. Basically, here's what happens. When Jesus takes the church out, the devil goes to work and he... He is uh, involved in an unbridled way on this earth. And there's a a man that rises to power, the beast, and with him the false prophet. They run the world. They run it into the ground. They want to fight Jesus. Jesus comes back and he kills them all and sets up his kingdom and and rules. It's it's the classic story that everybody borrows from. Uh, If you read the back of the book, we win in the end. And so it's a, it's a great story, but it's not just a story. It's future uh, that's already been written. It's the headlines for the future that have already been given to us almost 2,000 years ago. Now, let's look at our, our, our uh, outline. We're going to jump right in here. The judgment of the mother and the monster. That's what we're going to call it tonight. The judgment of the Babylonish mother. First of all, let's look at chapter 17, verse 1. And there came one of the seven angels who had the seven vials and talked with me, saying unto me, Come hither, I will show unto thee the judgment of the great whore that sitteth upon many waters. I want you to see, first of all, her universal power. This is letter A, her universal power. Now, there's a popular conception that, uh, you know, we, about a whore, and uh, we use this term, it's a very, you know, derogatory term, and, uh, but let me just put this idea in just before we get into this. Uh, girls who grow up in a home where they don't get attention from their fathers, many times will seek that attention elsewhere. Girls will trade, uh, they'll trade physical love for any kind of emotional love. And guys will do the opposite. Guys will trade emotional love so they can get the physical part. And uh, But here we're talking about a whore. This is not someone who is just, you know, wasn't loved by her father. This is a religious symbol. Uh, it is a symbol, this woman is a symbol of the system. And uh, you don't have to feel sorry for her at all. Because it has nothing to do with actual physical fornication and adultery. We understand that that's certainly involved in a lot of religions. There's a lot of fornication, a lot of sexual deviance in religions behind closed doors. But that's not really what it's talking about here. It's talking about spiritual fornication and adultery. And this woman, what she does is she trades her uh, love, so to speak, for power. She has a passion not for love, but for power. She wants to rule the world. And you'll find that uh, a woman who is not right with the Lord will trade um, physical love for power. And that is what it's talking about here in a spiritual sense. So she is not interested so much in the passion for love, but in the passion for power. She wants to rule the world. And in order to get that power, she'll abandon any principle, any vestige of morality. She, she will change. 
she will prostitute herself in order to get power. She wants to be in charge. And let me just say, ladies, the devil will tempt you to take over. It's not going to be maybe right as bland as that or as straightforward as that, but you've got to be careful. The Lord, why? Uh, Because what a woman is looking for is love. And if she can't get the love, she wants the power. Now, if a guy can't get the power, he will manipulate things around to get the love. So we find out that what is it that God tells a husband to do for his wife? Lover. What is the woman supposed to do for her husband? Submit to him. A man is looking for power, and uh, if he can't get that, he settles for love. At the best he can. And, and some, it's amazing. Guys will have, even sometimes they'll, they'll, they'll get so mixed up in their mind, they'll have a wife that they love, and yet they'll go out and they'll commit adultery. Well, on the flip side, a woman, what's she supposed to do? She's supposed to submit. She's supposed to uh, give that power, so to speak, to her husband. And let the Lord sort that out. If you've married to a bonehead, she's supposed to let the Lord sort that out. And uh, if she can't get that, uh, many times, if she can't get the love that she's looking for, she will try to dominate. These are things that, we, that were talked about during the, uh, the marriage refresher. And if you had a chance to listen to that, it could be a great help to you. But I, I, I want you to see here, um, this woman is, notice, she is sitting upon many waters. You can see in verse number 2, with whom the kings of the earth have committed fornication. And the inhabitants of the earth have been made drunk with the wine of her fornication. If you want to know why she's committing fornication, look at verse number 18. It says, The woman which thou sawest is that great city which reigneth over the kings of the earth. The kings of the earth, the power. She's luring them because she wants the power that the kings represent. That that they have power over masses of people. And you can notice, um, anybody ever heard of somebody named Paris Hilton? Remember when she was popular? How long has that been? I don't know. Remember Madonna? How about Britney Spears? The current model, I think, is Taylor Swift. And they just come and they go. They come and they go. They come and they go. And uh, why? They'll do anything. They'll do anything to get that power. And what they do is they lure people in They lure young men in and also lure young women in with the idea that if they're like her, they will also get young men. They lure them in by prostituting themselves. They'll do anything that they have to do. They'll dress up as any kind of a character. Uh, Lady Gaga, you know, dress up as just, I mean, disgusting. And the reason is they have no interest in fornication. That's not why they're doing it. They're doing it to make money. That's what it's all about. But they want, they want the public to think that they're speaking or singing to them individually. And that's what a good prostitute does. Uh, that's what Proverbs 7 says. It makes you feel very important. And so in a spiritual sense, a religious sense, there is a spirit in the world... And it's the spirit of Antichrist, and it will continue all the way through into the tribulation until Jesus Christ comes and judges this Babylonish mother of harlots. It's the spirit that says, you're awesome. You are special and different. You are the best. And so I just got to get pumped up. I got to get excited. I got to get, I've got to feel better about myself. I'll tell you this. If you will do good things 
And if you will do productive things, you will feel better about yourself. If you serve God and serve other people, you'll be able to look at your life and say, I did something that was valuable. If you try to serve yourself and try to get happy about yourself, it's it's a a black hole. You can't ever get enough. Everything will, will just continue to suck it out of you. And so this woman here is, again, a picture, a symbol of religious adultery. And uh, just like someone who is involved in fornication, by the way, pornography is fornication. It's visual fornication. You get intoxicated by that. You get drunk. What happens? You're magnetized. You lose control. You're you're habitualized. You have to go back, have to go back. And what happens is these people are, you ever have somebody in your life that makes you want to be around them and you don't really know why, but they're just magnetic You don't know that they really help you, but they say things to you in a way that makes you feel so special. You just feel like, man, that's what I need. You know, if you've ever felt, uh, it's interesting, but I've never felt that reading the Bible. Now, what I mean by that is not that I haven't felt loved and comforted, but I don't feel like Jesus and I have a special thing going. You know what I'm saying? Sometimes the stuff that people sing about, you know, it's not, I don't know if it's Jesus is singing about or their boyfriend. That's not the spirit of God. That's the spirit of the mother of harlots that makes you feel like when I listen to this, I can feel God. Well, I mean, how do you define that, by the way? How do you define that? You can't define how you feel about God anymore. You can define how you feel about steak. It means a hundred different things to a hundred different people. That's why God didn't give us a feeling. He gave us his word and he gave us his spirit. And we're supposed to try the spirits, whether they be of God. God is not going to make you feel like a hundred bucks, a million bucks every day of your life. Some days you're going to feel like God may be far away. We don't serve God because of how he makes us feel. We serve God because he is God. We humble ourselves to him. And don't worry, if you humble yourself, God will give you grace and all those feelings that you're desiring will come eventually. But you don't have to wait to worship God before, you know, waiting until you get that feeling to worship the Lord. And so this fornication is something that makes you feel very special. Now, look at number, uh, look at verse number 15. Look at the, the, the power that she has. He saith unto me, The waters which thou sawest where, uh, where the whore sitteth are peoples and multitudes and nations and tongues. All right? So all through history, the false religious system has had one passion. And that one passion has nothing to do with religion. It has everything to do with domination. Domination of the world. Now, the way that she's operating today, she's playing the waiting game. She's not dominating all over the place. Some places there are, but, but, but in large, Islam is very dominant. And, and that the, the mother of harlots certainly is seen there. Domination is seen there uh, in Islam. Make no mistake, they have no desire to, to get along with the religions of the world. They don't. Uh, they want to dominate the religions of the world. They want to kill all of the infidels. Now, your average Muslim uh, would never admit to that. Never, never, but I'll tell you this. When, when the imams start talking back from the mother country, they, in their heart, 
know they have to agree. Why? If they start disagreeing, it's going to be bad news for them. It's going to be bad news for them. And so there's, there are a few. There are a few that stand up and, and, and are secular, uh, secular Muslims, so to speak. But, uh, and some of it is like you know, Christmas and Easter. But in, in a large degree, there's a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of pushback right now. And uh, this is not a Middle East message, but, but mo- mostly when you look at Western civilization, it's not a time frame right now of domination. You're not getting thrown in jail for not going to church. You're not getting thrown in jail for not tithing. Uh, but there were times in history, there were times in American history when people were getting thrown in jail for preaching without a license. People were getting thrown in jail for not attending services. It was a, it was a wild time. Uh, that's because it was coming out of the Church of England and that was coming out of the Church of Rome and there was a lot of that domination understanding. Why? What happens is when you mix uh, politics and religion, when you mix church and state and you make them one of the same, then the state becomes uh, really a tool of religion. The power of the police, the power of the government is to make people do what they should do. Uh, and, and so thank, thankfully, we live in a country where separation of church and state, and that means two things. It means separation of the church overpowering the state. It also means separation of the state being able to tell the church what to do. And we live in an amazing country, and if we, if we lose this, if we lose the, uh, the civilization and the culture, the government, the, the constitution that we have, uh, I don't know that there are too many other places on the earth that are going to be able to come up. It's a very unusual thing that we have. And thank the, thank the Lord for it. Uh, we ought to pray. We ought to vote. We ought to be involved. We ought to contact people. Why? It's something worth keeping. It's something worth fighting for. Because if you've ever been in a situation where the, the, uh, the religion is the same as the state, the, the government and the, and the church are all the same, it's a very dominating, oppressive place. All right, number two, letter B. Notice her unique position. Look at verse number three. I saw a woman, so he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness, and I saw a woman sit upon a scarlet-colored beast, full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. So she is sitting on a beast. That's her unique position. Notice back in chapter 12. Flip back to chapter 12. Now, you have to forgive me, but I'm trying to roll tonight, so just uh, bear with me. It's going to be a little bit more in, in, intense than normal. Chapter 12, verse 3. There appeared another wonder in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon having what? How many? Seven heads and ten horns. Same as chapter 17, verse 3. Look at chapter 13, verse 1. Stood upon the sand of the sea and saw a beast rise up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns. All right. Who is this? It's the great red dragon. According to chapter 12, it's Satan, that old serpent. So she's riding Satan's seven-headed, ten-horned government system in the earth. She's on that. So what does that mean? It means this. Okay, uh, in your notes, the fact that the woman is riding the beast and is not herself the beast. She's not the beast. She's riding the beast. It signifies that she's a religious system distinct from the beast who is the political power. Okay? So you have the religious side and you have the governmental or the political side. 
So you notice here, it's mutually beneficial. On one hand, she is supported by the political power of the beast, right? She, in, other, in other words, the, the, the church has to get its money from somewhere. This false religious system has to get its money from somewhere. And when they can insist on people paying tithe or tax to the church, okay, they're supported by this political system. But on the other hand, she has a dominant role, and she is, at least on the outward, outwardly, she's controlling the beast. She's directing the beast, right? So who's running who? The horse or the cowboy? Well, it all depends if it's a real cowboy or not, right? Because if it's not, if it's a dude cowboy, then the horse is the one that's actually in charge. Even if there's a bit and a bridle, the horse knows. But here, this woman, she's riding the beast. The woman. Do you think the woman is more powerful than the dragon himself? I don't think so. But there certainly is that appearance that she is the one. Now, why would you want that? Well, because everybody knows it's nicer to have a a, a female secretary that represents the company than a male secretary. Why? He's just, she's just nicer. She is, she is more approachable. She's more accessible. And uh, she's just more pleasing. And so that's what Satan puts as the forefront here. The woman who is more pleasing, who looks like she's just you know, innocent, she's riding this dragon, this seven-headed dragon. Let her see her unlimited prosperity. It says in verse 4, The woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet color and decked with gold and precious stones and pearls, having a golden cup in her uh, hand, full of abominations and filthiness of her fornication. So, it is true that prostitutes, whores, dress to attract and allure people to come into their beds. All right, and that's uh, apparently the same thing that she's doing here. She's arrayed in purple and scarlet color, decked with gold and precious stones. We find that through the scripture, those are associated with wealth, wealth, prosperity, and royalty. So she's doing this to attract people. What does that mean? Outwardly speaking, she looks awesome. She looks amazing. How beautiful. Can I just tell you this? The beauty of a church building says nothing about the doctrine of the church. It says nothing about the doctrine of the church. How could it? How could it? What did God give us when he decided to communicate with us? Images or words? Words. So that's why we've got to be careful that we don't try. Sometimes we try to present Christianity as really cool. And how do we do that? With graphics, with sweet graphic tees, you know, and we want to have graphic design. And, and there's a, there's a, that is a part of our culture. Graphic design is a part of our culture. It is the language of our culture. But when God chose to communicate with us, he did so with words. The best, the best witness that you can possibly have is not a Christian t-shirt. It's a conversation. Now, there's nothing wrong with a Christian t-shirt. Nothing wrong with bumper stickers. There's nothing wrong with graphic design. We try to get nice tracks and all that to present ourselves uh, in a nice way. Help, you know, Americans, they, they don't like, they, they're constantly bombarded with, with graphic design on television and all that. But we have to be careful that we don't think, man, if we looked cool, our church would be more uh, palatable to unsafe people. God chose the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. 
So in other words, it doesn't matter how cool somebody thinks you are as a Christian, nothing matters until you get down to thus saith the Lord. When you get down to that point, now we're talking the way God wants us to talk. Good to see Brother John over here. It's a blessing to have you. Amen. Okay, so let's keep going. Uh, The thing that dazzles the kings of the earth is her wealth. So make sure you have that in your notes. Letter D, her unholy passions. Look at verse number four, the second part. Having a golden cup in her hand full of abominations and filthiness of her fornication. People say, well, that's that, that, you know, the golden cup is the holy grail. Uh, Well, there's nothing holy about this cup. The filthiness of her fornication. I don't even know what's in that cup. But something disgusting about how she draws people and interacts with people. God said it's filthy. I hate it. It's disgusting. It's like going to the hospital and going and finding that uh, hazardous materials box. Just going there and digging around. By the way, the Lord says that fornication is disgusting to him like that would be to us. Right? We don't think of that fornication is not disgusting. It just depends on if I want this person or not. That's the only thing that matters. And the Lord says, no, fornication is disgusting. But spiritual fornication is filthy. Spiritual. There's some mystical thing that goes on with this woman and the, and the peoples of the earth. They're giving themselves to her. They are worshiping what? What do they worship? They're not worshiping God. Something nasty about this in God's mind. Now, he says abominations, and and abominations in the Old Testament refer to the worship of idols. Idolatry. Idolatry. Her name is mystery. The whole thing is shrouded in mystery. Right? Hidden. It's dark. It's obscure. It's mysterious. it, It has this strange allure to people. It's, it's, uh, it's because people think the more mystical something it is, the more holy it is. It's not true. It's a lie. You know what the Lord, everything that doth make manifest is light. What does God want? God wants people to know the truth, the plain unvarnished truth. Are there mysteries in scripture? Yes. Mysteries that belong to God. But many of those mysteries have been revealed to us in the word. For instance, the mystery of the church. And it's interesting that the Bible says that the work of the beast, the Antichrist, is the mystery of iniquity. How does this thing work? Don't don't wonder. Don't get involved in all these different religions and finding out all this stuff. Like You shouldn't be enthralled with finding out about the Mormons and and, and finding out about um, the Hindus and what they believe. Be careful with that stuff. When we were in Trinidad, I went to a, a Hindu temple and there was a weird spirit there. I don't know what it was. And I don't want to know what it was. He said we should be wise concerning good and simple concerning evil. He said, I just want to watch this show just to kind of find out. I wouldn't watch it. I wouldn't watch it. I wouldn't read about it. I wouldn't get involved in that stuff. Hey, ladies, listen, be careful what you let in your mind. When you're by yourselves, 
Be careful of that stuff. What, I, what, I, what do I mean by that? Ladies are more easily deceived spiritually because they desire these, this, this closeness. And the devil can, can work you over with that stuff. Is there any wonder why so many cults are started by women? Be careful with that stuff. And I know a lot of men are deceived as well. And if I had to bet, I would say those, those men were raised uh, largely by their moms. That's my theory. Why? There's something about authority that Satan hates. Now, he's not going to get a man like that. If he doesn't get him like that, he'll get him some other way. Don't, don't think I'm letting the, lady, the men off easy. But I'm just telling you, spiritually deception, it can hide in, in, in a very nice, velvety, soft, oh, this is my, I love this man. I, I listen to him all the time. He's, on, he's my preacher because of how he makes me feel. He makes me feel so good. And, and, and hey, I'm not trying to make you feel bad just to make you feel bad. I'm trying to stay with the Bible. You ought, to, you ought to walk away from a sermon or from a, a church service thinking more about Jesus and how great he is than about how wonderful we feel. Oh, we're vibing out now. No, that stuff, that stuff is, it could be good, but it could also be Satan. And that's why I work, I've been to a lot of services where people, you know, all you have to do is get that piano started. Dun, 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 dun. Whoa! People start shouting. I'm like, what are you shouting about? What, 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 what are you saying amen to? You know what you're saying amen to? How you've always felt when you come to church. And some people, I'm telling you, it's not as much up here with Yankees. Yankees are cold, hard, ramrod, straight, you know, frozen, chosen, and all that. But you go down south and they're more susceptible to that. And, and, and it's more about how, well, I just feel, I know that, like, I'm not against feelings. I think feelings are great, but they've lied to me too many times. And so I try to be careful about that. Now, if we're not careful, we can go too far that way. Some people say, man, you don't look like you have any joy of the Lord at all. And point taken. I think we've got to have, but we have to, we have to mind the spirits and try them, whether they be of God. Okay, letter D, her unholy passions. We saw that referring to uh, uh, the, the worship of idols, the sinister, seductive, subtle, suggestive uh, m- attitude spirit that she has. She's not concerned about doctrine. She's concerned about getting everybody together. So she changes colors because what she wants is to become one system comprised of all religions on this planet. The Hindus, the Buddhists, Confucians, the Taoists, the Muslims, the Baptists, the Methodists, the Presbyterians, the Pentecostals, the Catholics. Being a Baptist will not get you out in the rapture. You will not. And a lot of people, a lot of Baptists are going to be amazed when they find out we're still here. But guess what? We can still go on for the Lord. Amen. (laughs) Oh, my soul. And we'll, okay. Letter E. Got to stop. We got to stop. Here we go. Letter E. Her untold persecutions. Look at verse number six of chapter 17 of Revelation. And I saw the woman drunken with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. And when I saw her, I wondered with great admiration. The blood of the saints. Blood of the martyrs. In the first three centuries, pagan Rome persecuted and tortured and killed Christians. And keep in mind that John, writing in A.D. 90-95, had seen pagan Rome kill hundreds, maybe thousands of people. He had seen them kill the other ten disciples. Right? 
And in fact, he himself was on the Isle of Patmos, uh, put there by pagan Rome, exiled while he's writing Revelation. So he had seen that, and, and it, he, he's, he's amazed, he's marveling at this, he is, he is surprised. He said, I wondered with great admiration, great admiration. What is he, uh, in admiration, he's not saying this is not in a respect type of a sense, it's a marvel, it's an astonishment. Wow, wow, how is this possible? Her universal power. She kills anyone who opposes her. You could talk about the Huguenots that were killed on the Bartholomew's Day Massacre there in Paris, where you had 70,000 Protestants that were killed. You, you could talk about the, uh, the 25-year period, 1573 to 1598, where 200,000 died horrible deaths. Uh, in a 30-year period, the Inquisition killed about 900,000 you go down through and see, uh, and specifically, the Roman Catholic Church was responsible for a lot of gruesome deaths, tortures. You've heard of the Iron Maiden? It's not just a rock group. It's, it's actually something that was invented to torture people. And the idea was not just to torture them, but to get the truth out of them. In other words, they would say in a sadistic mindset, weird, twisted thinking, this person needs to recant and to serve the one true church. And we must bring them to this point. Maybe like a a mother or father would say, we need to spank this child. And you should spank your child not to get him to love God. Spank your child because of something sinful that they did. Because they broke a rule. Not because you're trying to get in there and you know, get a hold of their spirit. What did they do wrong? Let the Holy Spirit work with them and convict them. You punish them for what they did wrong. Don't try to play the Holy Spirit in their lives. That's what happened with the, with the Roman Catholic Church in the Middle Ages, in the Dark Ages, with the Inquisition. They would go in and, they, and what were they inquiring about with the Inquisition? They were trying to find the sin in someone's life. And what happened is it turned into sadism. They enjoyed it. It was dark. It was twisted. And it was all under the guise of God's work. It's a sick thing. It's a sick thing. We're talking about taking women and cramming them into boxes, right, like this, and then burying them alive. Nailing nailing the box shut and burying them alive. That's the kind of stuff that was happening. Uh, Stretching people on the rack till every every joint is pulled apart. Impaling people on stakes, and and you could go on and on. Uh, She is making the people drunk with that fornicating power. That's one side. And on the other side, she gets drunk off killing anyone that she can't seduce. In other words, she is so insistent on getting everybody together that she hates the one that she can't convince. She hates them, and that becomes her, her dominating focus is, I'm going to kill them. Because I just, it's almost like a little, little you know, child hugging a kitten, suffocating the kitten because they, quote-unquote, love them so much. Now, a little child doesn't mean to do it. But here, she, she's basically saying, I want to control. I think some people call it, you know, cuteness aggression with, with babies. And with this, it's a seductive aggression. If I can't get you, I will destroy you. Number two, Roman numeral two. 
Let's talk about the judgment of the Babylonish monster. So we see, first of all, the rise and reign of the beast. Okay, so this is the religious side. The, this woman, this symbol, is a religious uh, symbolizes the religious uh, domination of the world and the system. But then there's this actual physical being, this human, this human, and uh, who is it? It's the beast. Whence the beast comes, he comes out of the bottomless pit. Look at chapter 17, verse 7. The angel said unto me, Wherefore didst thou marvel? I will tell thee the mystery of the woman, and of the beast that carrieth her, which hath the seven heads and ten horns. The beast that thou sawest was and is not, and shall ascend out of the bottomless pit and go into perdition. Hold your place there. Look at chapter 13. Chapter 13, verse 7. Uh, I'm sorry, verse 1. The first time that the beast is shown coming to power, it says, And I stood upon the sand of the sea, and I saw a beast rise up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and upon his horns ten crowns, and upon its heads the, names of, uh, the name of blasphemy. God showing us what happens when this beast rises to power. Look at chapter 12, verse 7. It says, and there was war in heaven, and his, uh, Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon fought and his angels. Verse 10, and I heard a loud voice saying, in heaven, now has come salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. So let me, let me give you this idea. It's not mine. Uh, I didn't come up with it, but I've studied it and looked at it myself. It seems to make some sense. You probably have heard it, but I want you to think about the three parts coming together. One, Michael and his angels are fighting Satan and his angels, the dragon, in heaven. And Michael ends up winning. And so he casts Satan down. Satan is cast down to the earth. All right. So while that's taking place, that battle in heaven is taking place, you have something on earth that's taking place. The beast is coming to power. But the beast is killed, or it looks like he's killed, by a sword. So who is this beast? Well, uh, he's just a, 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 world, a world ruler that dominates. He dominates everyone around him. Very charismatic. There have been types like uh, Hitler would be a type of the beast or the Antichrist. Okay, so while Satan and Michael are having this fight up there, the beast, this satanic being, is coming up. He's coming to power. But... It, he gets this wound, and it looks like he dies. Now, he may actually die. The Bible says that he has this wound by a sword, and he's wounded to death. And so either way, either he dies or he looks like he's dead. And then while everybody's watching him, the camera zooms in on his wound, and all of a sudden the wound heals itself, and he rises back up on his feet. And people are saying, wow. You know who that reminds me of? Jesus. He died and rose again. And, and it's going to cause people to, to worship this beast. To say, wow, this is amazing. Now here's where I'm not completely convinced. There's a possibility, a theory. That when Satan comes down, he inhabits that beast. And he actually possesses that beast. So now what you have is 
Satan incarnate. But here's one other thought, one other thought to add into it. The third thing that's happening is something's happening in the bottomless pit. The bottomless pit. Why? Because we saw that the beast that thou sawest was and is not and shall ascend out of the bottomless pit. Now, we don't have the time to go into it, but there's a king down there, a king whose name means destroyer king or, or perdition. And uh, there's one in the bottomless pit, according to Acts chapter 1, who was the son of perdition, and he went down to his own place there in the bottomless pit. So the idea is this, and that, by the way, is Judas Iscariot. Jesus said, have not I chosen twelve, and one of you is a devil. Is a devil. And so the concept is that he was also called the son of perdition. Judas Iscariot was. The one who, uh, who, who basically blackmailed or tried to blackmail Jesus and never could. And he ratted him out. And he's the one that sold Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. The idea is that Judas went down to his own place in the bottomless pit. Satan is fighting Michael up there. The beast is reigning and coming to power. And then he dies. And what some have theorized is that it all comes into one thing. The dragon comes down, Judas comes up, and Judas and Satan are the beast, are Satan incarnate. We have, they're inside of this beast. That's the theory. You can take it and you can work it. Uh, it. It seems to make a lot of sense, but there, you know, there's some questions that I have. I don't want to, to, to hammer it for real. But I will tell you, if you look at verse number 8... It says, the beast that thou, here, here's a way of looking, looking at it. The beast that thou sawest, sawest, was. The beast that thou sawest. Well, the beast that he saw, he saw for three and a half years. You know, John also saw somebody for three and a half years when he was with Jesus in his earthly ministry. John's one of the disciples. He's the one that was closest, and yet... Judas Iscariot was also one of the disciples. So he was and is not, is not, that is the idea is that he is not now, he's in the bottomless pit, and shall ascend out of the bottomless pit and go into perdition. So Judas Iscariot, he's on the earth for three and a half years, he goes down into the bottomless pit when he hung himself, right? And then sometime in the future, he's coming back, Inhabit the beast, and then he's going to go back in. So that's, that's the theory, that's the idea. Uh, and I say theory because there is no verse of Scripture that explicitly states that. But if you piece a bunch of stuff together, you can, you can see that that could definitely be a possibility. Now look at what it says. Let's go to eight, chapter 17, verse 8. Uh, and let's look here. Here's why the beast comes. Why the beast comes. He comes to deceive the people on this planet who reject Christ during the tribulation period. Verse number 8, it says, And they that dwell on the earth shall wonder, whose names were not written in the book of life from the foundation of the world, when they beheld the beast that was and is not and yet is. They that dwell on the earth. It's a phrase that's used often in Revelation referring to people that don't go to heaven, people that are during the tribulation, they don't want the truth in the church age, they don't want to listen to the 144,000, they are earth dwellers. 
This is my home. This is where I want to be. And they believe they want a lie, so God gives them a lie. They want something miraculous, so God gives them a, you know, a fake uh, death and resurrection. And they say, wow, this is amazing. In chapter 13, look at verse number 3. It said, I saw one of his heads, as it were, wounded to death... 13.3, and his deadly wound was healed, and all the world wondered after the beast. Here's the deadly wound. And they worshiped the dragon which gave power unto the beast. Right? So, that's whence he comes, why he comes. Now, let's look at number three, where the beast comes. Look at verse number nine. Verse number nine. And here, this is back to chapter 17, verse nine. Here's the mind which hath wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman sitteth. Now, some have said seven mountains. That's got to be Rome because it's, it's a city of seven hills. Uh, there are other cities that are built on seven hills, um, such as Cincinnati. That's one. And uh, there are others as well. I, I'm not sure for sure that, that Rome, the capital city of, of Italy there, I'm not sure that that is, the, is mystery Babylon. I will tell you what the scripture says. Look at chapter 17. Look at verse number 1. It says, I will show thee the judgment of the great whore that sitteth upon many waters. Look at verse 15. The waters which thou sawest where the horse sitteth are peoples and multitudes and nations and tongues. Look at verse 3. He carried me away in the spirit of the wilderness. I saw a woman sit upon a scarlet beast, scarlet colored beast, full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. So she's not only sitting on waters. And by the way, the waters are explained as peoples, multitudes, nations, tongues. Right? Verse number three, she's sitting on a beast, having seven heads and ten horns. Look at verse nine. Sitting on waters, sitting on a beast. Here's the mind which hath wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman sitteth, and there are seven kings. Right? So my understanding of this is that this seven-headed dragon is a representative of seven kings. Seven kings. Now, that certainly will include Roman Catholicism. There's no doubt about it. There's no doubt about it. There's no way in the world that, uh, that it could not be a satanic thing. How is that? When you can have so much scripture, do Catholics believe that Jesus Christ was the Son of God? Do they believe that Jesus died for sins? Do they believe that he was buried and that he rose again the third day? Yes, they do. Is that enough to get you to heaven? How is it possible they could believe all that and don't believe it's enough to get to heaven? That's satanic. She, is, she came from the mother of harlots. There's no doubt about it. But whether or not Rome the city is the great city upon which the whore sitteth, I'm not completely convinced. I'm willing to be. And I know for some that, you know, that you, how in the world can't you be? But we talked about that enough last week. I will say this. Uh, she's certainly a part of that. Look at chapter 12. Look at chapter 12. Let's talk now about, uh, oh, I'm sorry, 12 and 17. We're going to look at this. It's 12 and 17. Let's talk about when the beast comes. When the beast comes. 17.10, we're going to 12 in just a moment. 17.10. It says, There are seven kings, five are fallen, and one is, and the other is not yet come. And when he cometh, he must continue a short space. And the beast that was and is not, even he is the eighth and is of the seven and goeth into perdition. 
Okay, so we've got seven kings, five have fallen, one is, other is not yet come. Okay, he must continue a short space. So chapter 12, and you'll see, I'll give you the other side of that uh, Roman Catholicism. Look at chapter 12, and, and it'll, it'll sound like I'm backtracking here, but there's a lot of truth in this idea that, that, uh, that Roman Catholicism is part of, the, of Mystery Babylon. There's a lot of truth in that. Look at chapter 12, verse 3. There appeared another wonder in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon having seven horns, uh, seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns. That's the same kings. The same kings. But the question is, are we talking about seven kings that are going to be in existence when the mother of harlots is seen in the future? Not necessarily. Not necessarily. It's the same dragon... But it, did you notice in chapter 10, uh, chapter 17, verse number 10, that five are fallen? Did you see that? Five are fallen. One is, one has not yet come. Let's see if we can sort that out. Same dragon, seven heads, ten horns, seven crowns. Okay, look at this little, little table here. The Bible lays out mankind's history after the flood under the picture of seven crowns or seven kings. And, and there, there are seven major kings, and you can see them. Nimrod, king of Babylon. Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Sennacherib, king of Assyria. Uh, he's called a dragon in, in, uh, in, in uh, Second Kings. Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, also called a dragon at one point. Uh, Darius, Alexander the Great, though he's not named specifically in the Bible, he's called the Rough Goat, but it's obvious from history who took over Medo-Persia. It was Alexander the Great. And then Caesar Augustus, who is named in the book of Luke. He's the king of Rome. So you have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. So who was the king when Jesus came? Who was the king? Caesar Augustus, right? So what happened to Rome? Well, we don't have time to go into it, but it, it, Rome was in power, in power, in power. She was getting her heels bitten by all kinds of little barbaric dogs all over the place, right? Uh, some, some of my ancestors were involved in that. The Anglo-Saxons up there in Ireland, Scotland, England, and so forth. And they were coming down and, and, and trying to invade and going out. And Rome had to go out there and establish a kingdom in you know, Britannia and all that. And what happens is that basically Rome started to lose. And the church was growing and growing and growing. And so there came a point where there was a hybrid. So what, what is the old saying? If you can't beat them... Join him, and that's what happened. Satan is a master chameleon, and he changes. He, met, he, he becomes whatever is necessary. So the governmental power called Rome actually goes into a mysterious form. And it is a religious emphasis now. So you end up through the Dark Ages, the Middle Ages, actually from 336 or so A.D. onward, it gradually becomes more and more religious, the, the Western government does, and it changes from Rome as a political power to a bunch of city-states controlled by a spiritual religious power called the Pope. 
And over time, that, that was, there were infighting, there was division, there were sometimes, uh, there was two popes for a long time, people fighting about who's really in charge, and you can go on and on about this. But the idea is that at least in the Western Hemisphere, which the Lord seems to be focused on because it encompasses the East, all of that area, the Lord is focused on this side. He doesn't talk a whole lot about India, he doesn't talk a lot about the Far East, but he talks about uh, the Middle East, and that's because his people are in uh, Israel, right there in the center of what people call the cradle of civilization. All right, so let me, let me give you this idea. Seven kings, right? So the eighth king, there's an eighth that is coming. But let's look at it this way. Seven kings, verse number 10, five are fallen. Here's a way you can say it. The first and the fourth, Nimrod and Nebuchadnezzar, notice they're of the same kingdom, which is Babylon. If you count Babylon as one, because it shows up twice, then you would have Babylon has fallen, Egypt has fallen, Assyria has fallen, Media Persia has fallen, Greece has fallen. Five are fallen, verse 10. One is, one is, that's Caesar, that's the king of Rome that would be alive when John was writing. Okay, And then the other is not yet come. There's going to be another Caesar who will be a king of the revived Roman Empire. Why is that? It's because he is the eighth and is of the seventh. So he's coming from there. He's coming out of that same train, but he is an eighth. And it says in verse 10, when he, this mysterious ruler, comes, he must continue a short space. All right, the verse 11, the beast that was and is not even, he is the eighth. He's going to be the king number eight after Caesar Augustus and is of the seven and goeth into perdition. So he's just a puppet king like all the other seven, an instrument of Satan, one of the crowned heads. Either way you look at it, the beast is the last at the end of the sequence. Okay, but notice this idea of the seven kingdoms down through time. That's a way that it could work, and uh, there's a lot of people who are a lot better at that than I am, and you can read after them and try to figure it out. If you feel you know, discouraged or depressed, don't. Um, just keep, keep working at it and think about it. Because uh, does it matter who is the first president of America? Of course it does. Does it matter who's going to be the next president of America? Of course it does. There is something about understanding the sequence of governments that helps us understand who we are as a people. And the sequence of the end times past the rapture is also important. But there are a lot of questions about it. So I've just given you a model to work with. Now, let's go on to letter B, which is the demise of the beast. Let's see if we can get through this. We're making good progress. So he starts out and he is hailed first. He's hailed because he apparently rises from the dead. He is uh, unstoppable. You can't kill him. He is amazing. And, uh, and notice, he says in verse 12, The ten horns which thou sawest are ten kings which have received no kingdom as yet. So you had seven heads and ten horns. So the seven heads represent those kings down through history, but ten horns have not yet received a kingdom. They've received no kingdom as yet, but receive power as kings one hour with the beast. So they're kind of like just figureheads. They just get a little bit of power and they feel like they're really doing great. Notice in verse 13, these have one mind and shall give their power and strength unto the beast. 
A lot of unity under the beast's direction. He's able to pull them all together. Remember, this, the, these guys now are worshiping this beast because it looks like he rose from the dead. Wow, he had the deadly wound, he was healed. So all this unity. Satan is trying to get everybody together. By the way, Jesus is trying to get everybody together too. He tells us over and over again. He said, I want you to be of one mind in the Lord. And how does Satan get everybody together? Satan gets everybody together by saying, I'll give you what you want. I'll give you what you want. I'll give you what you want and you what you want. So everybody comes together to get what they want. It works well for the beast. He gets gets it done. It's horrible in a church. It does not work in a home. Well, I'll give you what you want if you give me what I want. No, no, no. Let's both do what God wants. We're here to serve the Lord, not our own selfish interests. Because there comes a point when the whole thing falls apart anyhow. It's a false peace that, that, that the beast brings in. Okay, are we doing okay, guys? Are you staying with me? Okay, not a whole lot of room to, to, to respond or anything. We're just blowing through it. Okay, so what happens is they, they say in chapter 13, who is like unto the beast? It's, they say, who is able to make war with him? They're so amazed by this this guy who heals himself, and he gets them all worked up. And watch what verse 14 says, seventeen fourteen. These shall make war with the Lamb. Why? We unlocked God mode. You, you, he can't die. You could literally shoot him right in the head, and he'll just heal himself and come back. You know what? If there's ever a time to take on... And by the way, this, this shows you that people are going to be much more interested, spiritually speaking. They're going to have an awareness of the fact that it's God versus the devil. Like today, people don't believe in a devil. And that's exactly what the devil wants. But in that day, the, the, the shades come off. Everybody knows it's God versus the devil. These want to make war with the Lamb. All right, And that's what it says in Psalm chapter 2. It says, The kings of the earth set themselves, the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us break their bands asunder and cast away their... He said, Let's go to war with the Lamb. Let's go to war with Messiah. Look at verse 14. And what happens? The Lamb shall overcome them. We talk about the, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, but there's only one mention of the Lion of the tribe of Judah. In the book of Revelation. You know how many times it's mentioned in the Lamb? Over and over and over and over and over again. Why? It was the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. God does not, He does not rule through domination. He rules through sacrifice. The earth is His because He purchased it. And His people are His because He redeemed them. He gave Himself as a sacrifice. He's coming back as a dominating Lamb. Is that an oxymoron or what? That's what the Lord wants to make you. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. The Lord wants you to conquer, not in your dominant physical human strength, but in the power of the Lamb. You ever feel like the, the, the Christian life is backwards? It is completely backwards. Here is a Lamb who is conquering. He overcomes them. Why? For he is Lord of lords and King of kings. doesn't matter how much unity the beast has. They're nothing compared to the Lord of Lords. Verse 14, they that are with him are called and chosen and faithful. And that includes the church age saints who've been raptured. And that includes the tribulation saints in chapter 14 who have been raptured as well. They're with Jesus. Right? 
And, uh, okay, now verse number 15. We're going to go on. Next, let's see the Babylonish mother hated. So the beast is hailed, but the mother is hated. And she, what happens is now these ten kings turn on her, and the people start to turn on her. Verse 15, he saith unto me, The waters which thou sawest, where the horse sitteth, are peoples and multitudes and nations and tongues, and the ten horns which thou sawest upon the beast, these shall hate the whore. Why? Because religion starts to get in the way. What drew them is no longer interesting to them. Right? When, it, when, when it's time for blood to run in the streets, they don't want to mess around with this super sticky religious experience. They want to get rid of it. They hate her. So she is desolated. The Bible says in verse 16, and shall make her desolate. So first she is detested. She's hated. Then she's desolated. And then she is desecrated. The Bible says, these shall hate the whore. They shall make her desolate and naked. They're pulling everything off and saying, you're a fake. You're disgusting. I hate you. Whereas they were allured by her and hypnotized by this religious, crazy, one-world Disney parade nonsense, we are the world stuff, now they hate it. They're sick of it. Right? They're rebelling against it. And they make her naked. And then it says, and shall eat her flesh. She's devoured. I mean, they're, de- they're just destroying her. You know who else was, was cast out and, and, and eaten? Jezebel, remember? When she was thrown down. We talked about Jezebel last week. And so she's destroyed and shall burn her with fire. And Leviticus 21.9 says that if a daughter of any priest plays the whore, she is to be brought out and stoned and burned with fire. So they hate her for, for those reasons, but they also hate her for providential reasons. Look at verse 17. This is awesome. In case you're uh, discouraged tonight. For God hath put in their hearts, who? The ten horns, the kings, the Gentile leaders. God hath put in their hearts to fulfill his will and to agree and give their kingdom unto the beast until the words of God shall be fulfilled. Isn't that crazy? God is working behind the scenes in all of this. So here's something to keep in mind. You talk, we talk about Revelation and the beast and 666 and Antichrist and backmasking and Charles Manson, you know, and Marilyn Manson. <laughs> you know, it's all dark and evil and it's just the Lord has his way in all of that stuff. In other words, God's not using it because he likes it. He's using it in spite of the fact that they think they're using it against God. God is so smart that he maketh even the wrath of man to praise him. He can actually use disgusting people to accomplish his work. He can use satanic beings to accomplish his work. And we see that throughout Scripture, particularly in the book of Job. So providential reasons. I want to encourage you. It doesn't matter what kind of evil is in your life, what kind of difficulty and discouragement. The Bible says, that Job, Job said this, When he hath tried me, I shall come forth as gold. Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. I was talking to a lady one time that was suicidal. 
You know, I just, I'm, I think I'm going to, I'm going to just give it. I've got no reason to live. God, God seems so distant. He seems so far away from me. I don't know what to say. And I said, look, I don't know what to tell you either. I know this, that God can use the darkest of times to help you realize what's in your heart. And if you will trust that God is working and that his words are true, no matter how you feel, you will come out of that fog. May not be right now. By the way, it took a long time for you to get into that dark place. May not be tomorrow that you get out of it. But if you'll start trusting the words of God, God will bring you out. You know, this is a really nasty, dark chapter. And did you see what he said? God's working with the ten horns. The ten kings think that they're uniting together against God. God's the one that put that desire in them. Why? He said, I'd just rather shoot once and kill you all than to shoot you all over the world. I'm going to bring you all together. Hey, how about this idea, guys? Why don't you get together so we can have a fight? That's our God. Could it be that all of the stuff that God's doing in your life, I just don't know what's going to happen. I think the other shoe already fell, and all the shoes out of my closet have fallen. They're all, I've got an anvil that fell on me and a piano that fell on me. I don't know what else I can do. You know what? You could turn it around and say, God allowed the anvil and the piano and the car breaking down and the health problem and all the junk. He allowed it. Why? To prove that you can still be happy in him. No matter what happens. That's not a, that's not a fun thing to think about. Because what we want to think about is, my God, my God makes me feel good. But how do you explain so many parts of the Bible where God doesn't let people feel good all the time? See, what happens is when you have the mind of Christ, you understand no matter what happens, I've learned how to be abased, I've learned how to abound, how to be hungry, how to be full, how to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. Maybe God, in a sense, is bringing all these evil things in your life together like he's bringing the ten horns together. Why? So he can take care of them all in one fell swoop? Or so that you can find out no matter how many enemies you have, Jesus Christ is Lord of Lords and King of Kings. And you don't serve him because he makes you feel good and gives you hot coffee and a donut every three minutes. You don't serve him because you keep getting a raise and a raise and a raise. You don't serve him because your car just keeps running. You never change the oil and nothing breaks down. You don't serve him because your kids are awesome and amazing and they just keep getting prettier and smarter. You you don't serve him because your health is better. You're stronger than you were at 18. That's not why we serve him. We serve him because even though our car breaks down and our kids may not even want to be around us, even though our finances are not great, even though our health is falling apart, we can still have the joy of the Lord in the middle of a dark place. Why? God is working in your life. Do not listen to the lies of the devil. He will lie to you and tell you that God hates you. God's not there. God, God's right there. And the devil's so good and our flesh listens. And we think, oh man, it's all coming down. It's all going to be destroyed. I don't even know if there is a God anymore. Listen, be still and know that I am God. God's not in the fire. He's not in the whirlwind. He's not in the earthquake. He's in the still, small voice. It's so quiet. It's got to be God. So I'm going to encourage you. Look at verse number 18. It closes out. It says, The woman which thou sawest is that great city which reigneth over the kings 
of the earth. Now again, these guys realize as long as they allow her to survive, she's going to always dominate. And so they want to destroy her for these political reasons, and they want the beast to come and rule over the entire planet. And they think, we we need to get rid of this woman. If we do, we're going to be set. But they forgot about the lamb. They forgot about the lamb. He is going to rule and reign over all the earth, and he is going to get the glory that he so richly deserves. And we're going to find out about that very soon. So there's our Revelation chapter 17, and uh, I hope we won't necessarily have to go that quickly through everything, but I just wanted to, to prove to myself that I could go faster than one verse per, per week.